Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Uh, today we have a interesting and exciting episode. Interesting because um, the topic we're going to be discussing about is something that I think if you are in church leadership at all, this may be something that you've kind of felt, and maybe this is something that you might connect with. And for those of you who are not in church leadership, maybe this is something to really help you think about things and kind of understand a little bit of the dynamic of the relationship between like a uh, church member and a uh, church leader. So uh, joining me today is Micah Current. Micah, how is your day today? It's good, man. I just uh, grateful to be back on. I know we had a couple of weeks off because we, we had pre-recorded some stuff and uh, it's just good to be back in the kind of like a semi-routine, like after the yeah. new year, after the holidays and things. And it's good to be with you and good to be back on the the podcasting uh, scene again with you. I think I was listening to another episode of Nerd Talk a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. you were actually on that episode and you were like, it's great to be back in the house of nerd. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like what's the the proper, proper uh, verbiage for this, but it's great to be in the back of, or it's great to be back in the house of the Scott Stedman podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, funny. So yeah. Oh gosh, that is hilarious. I, I almost said, said I almost said <laughs> I almost said, will you be my friend, Scott? Because of what we're gonna be talking about today. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> will you be will you be my neighbor? <laughs> will you be my neighbor? Yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Wow. I think Jesus said that somewhere in the New Testament. Love your neighbor and yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yep. Funny. All right. So, yeah. So I'm really excited about this, about this episode. But before we dive right into our meat, let's go to our appetizer, which is our weird, our stories gone wild. (laughs) Stories gone wild. So um, I'll go first because mine's just kind of, it's kind of weird. So um, I was recently, like Micah said, we recorded some episodes ahead of time, kind of build up our queue because... I was uh, going traveling for conferences, and one of the conferences I went to was the Children's Pastor Conference in Orlando, Florida. And uh, as I was there, we, me and the group that I was with, we stayed off site, so we didn't get to stay on Disney property. Uh, but we kind of stayed off site, and it was only like a fifteen minute drive there, so it wasn't too bad. Um, but every time when we would drive towards where the convention was at we drive by a bunch of like gift shops and we drive by a bunch of like different um things there's like a weird ferris wheel and like this thing called the vomitron which is like this big high thing that spins you around in a big circular roof and, and then even the bucket you're on spins you around so i guess it's to make you throw up i guess that's why it's called the vomitron but as we're driving i see this billboard for a company called TankAmerica.com. Are you familiar with Tank America? Uh, I am not. I've never heard of it. Well, Orlando is the premier spot for amusement parks. And Tank America is no exception because you can drive an actual live tank. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So then I went to go, well, I'm curious. What's the price? How much is it going to cost you to drive a tank? So their first package is just a basic tank training uh, terrain course. And you'll be briefed by the commander. Your team, which is a team of four, 
will board an APC Green Dragon, and you'll be escorted to the battlefront. Once there, you will slide into the driver's seats of a FV-433 Abbott tank and receive mission instructions from the commander. So all you're doing is you're just going around driving a tank, and that's 350 bucks if you want to drive a tank. But then they have more ta- packages, and they add more stuff, like an obstacle course. You can crush cars. The highest one, the highest price, is you get to drive the tank, navigate through the course, um, be combat locked, which means you can actually fire from the tank. Um, and you can choose four weapons from Machine Gun America, which is another place you can go. And you can go ahead and shoot auto, like uh, fully automatic weapons. And that package is $1,500 if you want to drive a tank and shoot machine guns and experience all it is to drive a tank and be in a war zone with that actually going to war. And I thought, man, (laughs) like if I think about all the things I really want to do in my life, I don't think driving a tank would have been on the top of my list, but for some people it may be. And here's your opportunity. You could go and pay, you know, as low as, (laughs) as high as $1,500 or as low as $350 to drive a tank. Micah, would you want to drive a tank? Uh, I think it would depend on what I would be driving it for. Um, like a couple of weeks ago during Christmas when we had that, that ice storm. Yeah. You could probably get anywhere you want with a tank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's probably what I would want to drive it for because I'm not a big... I mean, I can drive in the snow and ice. And I was, you know, I was I learned how to drive in that. But um, it's not my favorite thing to do, obviously. So, yeah, yeah that's probably the only reason that I would... I would use a tank. What about you? Well, I, in some ways, it, it, it's interesting. I don't know if I would pay the price tag, but knowing that it's up to four people, and then eventually you could pay extra to have a fifth person join you. But the thing that I'm boggled by is Florida's hot in the summer, and mm. you're going to be inside of a metal tank. So I know you're probably going to be roasting in that tank. I don't think they, I don't think they put AC or there's any type of air conditioning in a tank. Um, so for me, I feel like that's not good. But even look at the pictures, it's like you see this tank going through like a big, gigantic mud puddle, and it almost looks like it's completely submerged, but it can still move through there. And I'm thinking, you know, in some ways that'd be kind of fun. But yeah, I'm not really excited about the whole being inside of a tank. And especially if you have a family of four, because even looking at the pictures, it's almost like, well, there's one person that can like put their head outside the tank to see where everyone's going, but everyone else would have to be inside the tank. And I'm just thinking, it's going to get really hot in there. And I don't know how long this is. Like, they don't tell you how long the time is if you're out there for an hour, two hours, 30 minutes. Like, not sure, but I mean, I really don't have a desire to drive a tank, but I just thought that was interesting that like out of all the random stuff you could do in Orlando, the good, the bad, the ugly... Driving a tank is an actual thing you can do in Orlando in an overcrowded city. So <laughs> interesting. Interesting, yes. What about you, Micah? What any strange stories from you? So yeah, I was I was kind of sharing about my week before we started recording with you because we haven't had a chance to talk or catch up because you were in Florida at a conference. Yeah. But um last uh 
Monday, I, so I teach, I don't know if I've shared this on your show, but I teach leadership focus, which mm-hmm. is uh, a course for, for those seeking ordination in the church of God Anderson, which you and I are part of, and you and I are ordained through. And um, each module has five courses. So they get one class a month through the time, uh, the, the semester, there's a fall and a, uh, a spring term. And so I was wrapping up my fall term last Monday night. So I, uh, had some stuff to do yesterday, not yesterday. Wow. Not yesterday. Um, last Monday, uh, because we weren't recording and, uh, I had a couple of appointments. So I went to an appointment. I was kind of in a hurry. I had to get home. I had another thing I needed to do before I jumped on my meeting that afternoon. And so I got, I got some Chinese food and I was like, you know, I love Chinese food. It's one of my favorite foods and my wife's not a huge fan. So I, Stopped at one of my favorite places in um, the area, and I ate my food, and I was like, you know, that isn't settling really well. So uh, I went about my day, and I was fine, um, taught my class, and then I um, ate dinner with my wife, and I, got, you know, we were watching the the blowout that was the college national championship football game, which was mm. insane. Um, 62 to seven or whatever that crazy score was, um, and went to bed. And then Tuesday morning I got up like I was going to go to work and, you know, I got in the shower and I got dressed and I went downstairs and my stomach just said, Nope, you're not going to work today. So, uh, without sharing any of the great details, my, uh, my wife and I determined that I got food poisoning from Chinese food, Mm. uh, last week. And I was so, so sick, <laughs> so sick. I don't, I, I can recall maybe one other time in my life where I've had food poisoning when I was really, really young. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not recommend that for anybody. And I told, I told people at work when I went back to work on, um, on Wednesday that, uh, I wouldn't recommend that on my worst enemy because it was, I, I didn't drink coffee. I mean, it was about 20, I ate enough crackers Tuesday night to take some pain medicine and go back to bed uh, and didn't eat from Monday night until probably Wednesday afternoon because it was just that bad. And I didn't have coffee and I'm a big coffee addict like you are, Scott. And it wasn't, it wasn't good. So uh, it wasn't weird as much as it was painful. And yeah, it it, it stops you, man. It stops you dead in your tracks because you can't do anything. You just feel so paralyzed. And, uh, are you are you a Seinfeld fan? I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the episode where Jerry keeps the streak alive uh, without vomiting. Yeah. Um, that that was me. I haven't done that in probably six or seven years. So, um, yeah, it was bad. So wow. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a a weird story or a story that's gone wild. It was just a. Yeah. I. I was. And I'm a hardworking person and I like to do things and, and be active. And my wife, you know, was like, you're staying home today. So, yeah. Oh gosh. I couldn't even imagine. And and that's the thing about, about getting like uh, stomach flu or stomach or food poisoning. It's just, it's, it's like, you need to do something you need to eat because that's how you get your energy and that's how you you can do things. And then when something's not cooked right or, Cross or whatever reasons that's causing you your sickness from food, it's almost like it's it's almost like the Trojan horse in some way. You just allowed something to go into your body, and it's just 
wrecking your havoc on the inside. No. So you're just like, no. And then you can't do anything. Only thing you have to do is just rest and allow your body to naturally, you know, take some medicine, drink some water, and try to let your body natural, let all that gunk kind of figure its way out. And I can remember one time I had, I think I had some food poisoning. It was one of those things where it just, I had it for three days. And I eventually I got to the point where it's like, okay, I'm tired of this. So literally I have to make myself vomit so that whatever was, and once I made myself vomit, I was good. Like I was, I was better the next day, but whatever it was, it just did not want to release out of my stomach. It just kept staying there. I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to, I'm, I'm tired of feeling sick. This is the third day of dealing with this and I'm sick of it. So yeah, I think that's the only time I've ever had to make myself throw up because it was that bad that it wasn't getting any better. So I just yeah, have food, to. Food poisoning is no joke. It's not a joke. I yeah. mean, and there's really nothing you could do. I mean, you're just paralyzed, like yeah. in a sense, because like you said, your body just has to work it, work it out of the system. And uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway. Yeah. Now that we've now that we've grossed it. Now that our, now that out. everybody has turned off this episode of the podcast because they are grossed out by food poisoning, um, we're going to actually talk about relationships. And there is this article, and, I, and there, unfortunately, there's not a date on it, but it's from Carrie Newwolf. And if you're not sure who Carrie Newwolf is, he's a former pastor who became a who does a lot of leadership posts to kind of help train church leaders. He had a couple of books. He, one of his most well-known books was I Didn't See It Coming, which it kind of talks a little bit about um, church leaders and kind of burnout and some of the stages of burnout and and kind of recognizing some of those stages. So he wrote this book or he wrote this article and the article says why they are not actually your friends, a hard truth for pastors and leaders. And I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit, but basically what this topic is addressing is maybe you've been in leadership and there's been that time where you have people at the church that you're working at who your best friends, you do small group together, you may have dinner together, you hang out together, you and your kids may hang out together and everything's all fine and dandy. And then whether the pastor leaves or whether the church member leaves, it's almost like when you leave those relationships just kind of vanquished overnight, like, um, like tissue paper to a flame, like it just poof gone. Um, and here's kind of Carrie's take on it. He, he says over the last year and a bit, I've talked to so many leaders who are distraught over how many friends, often people they thought of as close friends, have left their church. And when they left, they also ended the friendship. Friends they've worked with or served with end up no longer being friends, quitting the church, leaving staff, or even walking out for good over a disagreement. Leaders have struggled with this problem for years, pastors even more so. Uh, first of all, I emphasize it happened to me too. It hurt sometimes at the soul level. And friendships being the unique relationships they are, once built, are often difficult to replace. Uh, that said, I've had decades to find a different perspective, ready for a contrary view. What if they were never your friends? I'm not trying to be mean or question your relational IQ. I get it. You're saying, but we have dinner with these people. We went on vacation together. We we're at each other's houses all the time. Our kids played together. We were close. I realize that. But again, the question, what if they were never actually your friends? I know what you're thinking. What? But hear me out. True friendships don't depend on your leadership. They depend on relationship. 
As long as you're the leader, you've got a few variables in the friendship that make it hard to discern whether it's a true friendship that will survive your leadership. Um, you know the stereotype that the business leader who retires and is later shocked to discover his phone never rings and anyone who used to hang out with is not interested in him anymore? A similar thing is happening to pastors and church leaders. I will share why that's the case. Um, and he goes on to kind of talk about why that's weird. And he mentions things like, well, one dynamic is your power. Like as a lead pastor, because you hold a leadership position, you do have power. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes people may be your friend because they believe that if I'm friends with the pastor, then I get some power that I can get into some leadership roles that maybe others don't because, you know, I'm rubbing, oh, I'm rubbing elbows with pastoral, uh, with the pastor. So and he, it's an interesting article because he goes on to talk about a lot of these things and not just in a leadership, but even says within ministry, it's the perfect storm because it's work, it's faith, and it's community that's all bundled into a package so it kind of becomes a it that kind of becomes a strange situation or a strange culture when you're trying to build up friendships in a ministry um relationship. So uh Micah, when you went through the article, what were some of your thoughts or, and how did it hit you? So yeah, one of the one of the main things that I thought about when I was reading this last night was that, you know, <clears throat> well, I, I had a lot of thoughts, but you know, that's kind of what we do. Why we do yeah. what we do. Um, the the first thing that really uh, kind of triggered in my mind was, you know, we did an episode, you know, about a year ago about being a pastor's kid. Yeah. And some of the things that I remember about being a pastor's kid so young was the fact that, you know, when we made a transition in ministry or something happened at the church and families would leave the churches that my dad was serving at, uh, you, all of a sudden you you just didn't have those relationships anymore. You didn't talk to them anymore. You didn't go out to dinner with them anymore. You didn't, you know, uh, you didn't see them regularly anymore. You basically, it was basically like they just no longer existed. And that was hard for me as kid, a kid, because, you know, you just, you just don't understand why, like, Hey, I'm, I'm really good friends with, with this family's, you know, son or, you know, daughter, or we're all friends together. Our siblings are friends with their siblings. And all of a sudden, they're gone and that relationship ceased to exist. And, um, you know, when you ask your parents that they're like, well, they're, they, they don't go to church here anymore. Well, why don't they go to church here anymore? And then your parents have to like, kind of navigate that, um, you know, in their parenting also and trying to protect their kids because ministry is hard. And so, um, you know, you shared a little bit with me about your son with the transition from Virginia to Ohio that like, he's kind of going through, you know, some, some growing pains because he doesn't understand why you guys moved back to, to Ohio and he misses Mm -hmm. his friends. So like, you know, I I kind of sympathize with the fact that like, it's real, it's real, it's a real thing. Um, The other part of that is that, you know, I think it's incredibly hard to have relationships in ministry um, as the, as the ministry leaders, as pastors, uh, because I, uh, I was thinking about this last night, but like the last couple of uh, ministry assignments I've had, I've had an incredibly difficult time trying to connect with people other than like surface level things like, hey, how are you doing today? Hey, uh, 
you know, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for being at church today. Like the, the, the tongue in cheek stuff that you say to people, but like, you're not going to be friends with everybody, but at the same time, it's hard to, to invest those relationships because of hurt, because of Mm -hmm. past hurt, because of putting yourself out there, because you're afraid that you're going to get hurt. So, um, yeah, I read this and there was a lot of emotions. What did you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing. Like I, I, I think about my earlier years in ministry because it's weird because I can remember being taught whether intentionally or unintentionally this idea that well. And when you're a pastor, you shouldn't have friends within the church. And this idea that you can't have friends within the church you're serving, which for me was very odd because what I had seen is I had seen within the church I grew up a great example of people who had friendships with people in the church. Uh, My parents being friends with the associate pastor, who's now the executive pastor at the same church. And it was one of those things where it's like they were able to build those strong friendships they're still able to build those strong, strong friendships with the lead pastor. And then when the lead pastor felt called to go somewhere else and serve at a church in Pennsylvania, I mean, there are still those strong relationships that were still there. Like they didn't call each other and talk to each other every single day, but can I add be... something to that too, yeah. really quick? Mm-hmm. So like something else I thought of and you, you, you spurred uh, my memory there, Scott, but like, I, I feel, um, how many times have have you left a ministry situation and folks said they're going to stay in touch with you and they still want to be friends and then you leave and you don't hear from them ever again, which I think the article goes on to say that. Yeah. But like how many times did that happen to you? Because I, I feel like it's all the time, all the time, all the time. Very rarely. Like it's it's like it's like if I'm at a church of let's say if I'm at a church at 20, I may have every single person in there saying, hey, we love you. You know, we'll keep in touch, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm gone. And sometimes the number of people who will still continue to reach out to me could be anywhere between 10% or less. Um, Sometimes, like even, I mean, you know, so, I mean, I think at the church, and I think that's kind of the big thing. And I think it's funny because even when I think about camp ministry, when I worked in camp ministry and I was in a leadership position, when I left camp, yeah, I mean, I was done. Was I? But I felt like there was still that communication, and especially by the time I left. That's when social media was still kind of in its infancy and was starting to become the juggernaut that it was. So even when I left, there were still people who would still reach out to me. Sometimes there'll be people who call and check in on me and see how things are going. Or if they find out that I'm in the area, they want, Hey, I'm going to be here. Can you, can you swing by? And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a detour to swing by at this coffee shop to talk with you. So it seemed like within that aspect, it was fine. But again, I wasn't the camp director. I was kind of like the right hand person to the camp director. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of helped. So that changed the dynamics a little bit more. Um, so I think when it, so kind of going back to what I was saying, like, you know, I was told don't build friends in the church. And then I see examples where it can happen. So then when I'm in ministry, and again, that's a, the weird thing too, because when you think about ministry, Jesus had relationships with the people who were with him, mm-hmm. and he built those relationships and he built friendships. And even, you know, again, for my, for my, uh, 
doctorate studies, I'm kind of doing a big thing on John 13 through 17. And even in that, you know, even at the very beginning, when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, at the very beginning, it says that he wanted to show his love to the full extent. So he goes and he washes their feet. Well, he even says, you're no longer servants, but you're my friends. So I, so when you see this, it's like, well, yeah, there is a friendship aspect to ministry. The thing I also have to remember is that culturally, that was a whole entire different culture. And everything that Jesus did was so different and so radical within that culture. Where when you think about being in our culture today and, you know, Western civilization or American culture, it's like you have these friendships. And then when someone leaves, it's like completely silence. I can understand like someone leaving because you got into a disargument or a fight or a disagreement about a way something should go. So a church member leaves and they no longer talk to you. I get that. But when things are on good terms, or even if things are on bad terms, like, you know, maybe the pastor is having issues with the elder board and there's a struggle. So the pastor resigns, but but no one in the rest of the body knows anything about all that stuff. They leave and then it's like, oh yeah, please come back. We love you. We'll, we'll keep in touch. And it's like, Complete nonsense. Like, it's like no one will come. And it's weird. And, it, and, and the thing is, is, especially with kids, and you alluded to it earlier with my son, like, yeah, like being a ministry kid is hard because you build these relationships, you build these friendships with the kids within, not only within the community in which you live, but even within the church. And when you are gone and you're moving, a lot of times you're just like, oh, how can I keep in contact? And actually, it seems like with especially with my son, the kids who still keep in contact with my son are the kids who are in his school. Like they'll still fit kids messenger him. But really, he doesn't get any. Anyone from the church we attended, any of those kids reach out or talk to him or do anything, which has got to be heartbreaking. It is. It is because, I mean, you're you know, you're with these kids and. They just don't talk, and, and a lot of it could be, and I think a lot of the time with kids, it's hard, especially with social media, is like with Messenger's kids, like, well, you have to get the parent, parent permission, so you don't know if it's because, oh, well, everything's good, because it, the kid doesn't check it recently, so the kid doesn't know how to accept a friend request, or is it because the parent checks it and says, oh, you know, the pastor's kid wants to be friends with your son. It's like, no, because I don't like the pastor. So, and it's like, and so it's a parental decision based on whatever friction happened between a lead or a someone on church staff versus a church member. And because of that relationship, it's like, well, no, you're no longer going to talk to that person's kids because the parents have decided, nope, and kind of yeah. draw that line and make that cut. Mm -hmm. it's uh it's hard i mean it just there's no other there's no better way to 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 say that than um also too another thought i had was the the idea that you know what if you're a pastor at a church who stayed longer than what you should have like uh -huh. you've, out, you've outstayed like your tenure or whether it's pending early retirement or um you know your season is done and you need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Like some of those transitions can be rough anyway. You add the fact that 
you've stayed too long or whatnot. Um, think of how the relationships can be affected by that. Um, it's like, we love you, but you know, we're done with you in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to, to put into words. Like it's, I think you, uh, well, the article says it where, you know, you know, think of an older person who's getting ready to retire from a job who's been there for 30 years. And it's like, well, nobody's going to call me anymore because I'm done. Uh, now, th- there are also situations in ministry where, you know, you can have a, an amazing tenure and the people love you, but like you need to have a transition plan or a contingency plan where you have somebody else coming in to the ministry to, to kind of take over that role and, you know, walk them through that and then don't outstay, you know, longer than you should. But at the same time, you know, that can affect relationships as well because, oh, we love the, some people were like, well, we grew up here and we grew up under this pasture and it's, it's, it's hard for us to, to let go of that, but we know that we need to, 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 to move forward and move ministry forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, yeah. And I think, it, I think another thing too, and I think this is kind of weird as well, is I want to know if there is not necessarily kind of that dynamic, but I also think about just, if we take the whole leadership part out of it and you just have, church member and church member. And let's just say, for most part, church member decides, well, hey, we're going to go to a different church. And a lot of that could be because they moved. Or, you know, one of the things is, you know, maybe there's someone, especially like in Virginia, a lot of times the closest Church of God church could be quite a haul to drive to go there. So the fact that, hey... I'm driving an hour to come to church and now gas prices are soaring and it's to the point where it's like, we can't make that commute anymore. So we're just going to try to find maybe a church or maybe just a non-denominational or independent church close to where we are because not because we don't like anybody, not because we think everybody's awful or anything bad happened, but because from a financial and even just from a logistical point of view, we have to go somewhere else. And even when that happens, it's almost like the people who decide, okay, well, we still love you guys. We love being here. We just have to go to church anyway. It's almost like the chatter or the everyday conversation from this congregation also vanishes. It's almost like, it's almost like, even when it's things outside of anyone's control, people still take it personally, or is it so people take it personally, or is it just kind of one of those things where it's out of sight, out of mind? Since I don't see these people regularly, I just don't talk to them anymore. I just kind of forget about them because I don't see them on a day-to-day basis anymore, or I don't mm-hmm. see them on a weekly basis. Um, and even sometimes when you even try to break that mold, I had a buddy who was a worship leader. And felt it was time for him to step down. And he stepped down and, and he was still talking to a small group. And a small group's like, well, I guess this is goodbye. And he's like, well, what do you mean goodbye? Like, we're still good. We're not like we're still in the area. We just feel that it was our time to move from this church. 
and kind of go serve elsewhere or maybe not even serve elsewhere, just kind of move from a leadership position to kind of just go from a worshiper position, just be a casual worshiper. And even then, even after you explain everything, like, yeah, I could still, I could still come to your small groups. I can still do this. It's almost like. It's like, wait, what? Like what? Like, huh? That that you can do that? Like, it's like, it's like, sometimes I feel like there has been a culture within our church that when someone leaves, you can no longer it, be friends with them. You can no longer be friends with them. I mean, this isn't like the prodigal son where the prodigal son runs away and he did something bad. Sometimes people leave because of a variety of reasons and it has nothing to do with you or the church or anything else. And it's like, and it's almost like people just have it in their mindset that when someone leaves, then we don't talk to them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think, and so unless someone explicitly says, yeah, I'm leaving, but Hey, I'm still going to come to church or I'm still going to be part of this small group. Cause we still live in the area. It's just, I'm not going to be in a leader position, leadership position anymore. Well, and can we take that a step further? Is that, is yeah. that a reason why people don't want to come to church because they've been burned and they're, they're afraid to to put themselves out there. I think so. I mean, I think from a leadership, I think that's the other thing too. Both, like, both from a, both from a pastor's stance, like a leader's stance yeah. and from a, and from a lay person's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah. Cause I think if you are just burned out by church, Sometimes you do have to take a step back. And I know there's some people who love the church. They feel the burn. And for them, it's just like, okay, I'm going to have to take a step back. I just need to take a step back because I just need to have that time of rest. And you do it that way. And then after that's done, you can then, if you feel God's calling you to step back into a ministry position, you can do that. I think a lot, and I think especially in, Smaller churches, that's a little bit more easier to do because there's always a vacancy. But I think a lot of times, but especially if you serve in bigger churches, sometimes I think a lot of people tend to hold on to and they do get burned out is, especially from a just a volunteer perspective, they go, they're building these relationships, they're serving the church, they get burned out, so they take a step back. When they take a step back, someone fills the slot. And now when you feel like you're ready to come back in, you're you're now you're now in line waiting. It's like okay, well, you now have to wait, and you can't come back in anymore because your spot has been filled, and there is a va- and there's no more vacancies for you to come and serve. And especially if you're someone who feels energized through service, and you say you can no longer serve, then that becomes a relationship aspect too, because now your whole identity and all your friendships was built on your gift of service. And now that you don't have that, and now that you no longer have an opportunity to serve in a particular place, then you feel disrespected. You feel less. And then not only that, but then sometimes you go to another church and you start working. And then those people that you grew relationships, strong ties with kind of don't talk to you after that or don't even ask like, oh, hey, like, you know why did you leave or why well, I thought you, I thought, you know, I think there's a lot. And I think a lot of it is people don't want to talk because people, both people are hurt. Yeah. Both people feel some type of stings. And, and yet instead of kind of to reconcile and kind of understand each other of what happened and what the, the who, what, where, when's the wise, 
We just mm-hmm. don't talk or which I think happens a lot of times if like someone leaves instead of those people who are very curious, ask the person that left, they ask the people who are close to the situation within the community. And then you get one side of the story and you never get the other. And then you'd buy into it because like, well, you know, I think in church it's like, well, church people won't lie. And it's not necessarily a matter of who's telling the truth and who's lying. It's just seeing things from different perspectives. And if you're only getting one side of the story and you just take that at face value and not get the other person's side of the story, then sometimes you this picture of, oh, well, this person's very fine. It was great. And then you find out, oh, yeah, they were always butting heads with people behind the scenes. It's like, oh, well, that doesn't sound like a nice person, so I'm not going to talk to him anymore. Hmm. And then the other person who left feels hurt because it's like, well, these people said they were my friends. And now they're not talking to me because they got especially for those who are brave to talk and say, hey, this is what I heard, and you find out about it, then it kind of creates this really icky situation where it's like everybody just kind of took one side. They didn't take the other side. And for me, it's not necessarily about choose my side or choose their side. It was always about why can't we have this time of reconciliation to really work things out, to understand each other's hearts and where they came from because if we reconciled that then at the end if someone leaves and people are asking the who what where's and why's it's always going to be very all the facts are in play and you're not hearing one side of the story you're not getting one page of the book and then the other page is out floating somewhere you got everything in unison everything together everything has been stitched up and patched out and even at the end the person decides to leave, at least there was some reconciliation. I think that's the other issue too. And I think that's why we see people who not only leave church, but they kind of don't want to go back to church because there's some past things that wasn't healed, that wasn't reconciled. Because even if everything was good, because since there wasn't that connection, everyone just kind of, in, in a whether intentional or unintentionally, kind of got shunned. Yeah. And now they're kind of no longer part of, and the only time you get any interaction is maybe through social media when you post a picture of your kids or post a picture of what you ate for dinner. And that's it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think it's, you know, there, there are so many different directions you can go. The whole conversation of reconciliation, you can go the the route of, um, you know, the, uh, society, it's almost like society tells us it's okay not to be kind to one another. It's almost like society tells us it's okay to not reconcile things or let things just sit there. Yeah. It's, it's like society, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that in as badly as it sounds, but it, it, and, you know, I may be completely off base, Scott, I don't know if that's how you feel or not, but like, I just, we, society tells us, you know, we flip on social media and we see this this kid get bullied or we see a fight between a husband and a wife. Like we see content. Everything is like aimed towards division. And, uh, you know, if it was, you know, the media and and everything else like thrives off conflict. So um, we just, you know, it, it, it's almost easier not to reconcile things, right? 
I think that's what I'm trying to get at. I think that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. It's almost and easier I, not. It's it's easier not to fix problems. Because well, and I think here's and I think it goes back to Carrie's point. You know, that's the question. Well, what if they weren't your friends? If they were truly your friends, if there was friction, you would move towards reconciliation. Yeah, because you value that relationship so much that you want it to be healed. But if yeah. they were only your friends because of the position you held or because of the power you had, whether it was great power or a little bit of power, and then you leave and they don't want to reconcile things, then that that's another spin on it too because you can't – how do I say it? If they were truly your friends, they would want to work things out. Right. If they very valued you as a person and they really valued the relationship that you had, you would work things out. Well, so so a great point about that. That that's uh, that's excellent. Um, something that I was you know just thinking about as you said that was the other day. If you it, it so the other day we're in the grocery store, right? And I haven't mm-hmm. shared a lot about this on your show, but there's been some issues with my family personally, and I'm not going to go into detail, and I'm not going to bury it, and I'm not going to name people or anything. But we've we've had some issues. Uh, over the last couple of months and I was in the grocery store with my wife the other day and I'm standing in the middle of the aisle my wife went somewhere to go do something to go look at something else she came back and I'm just sitting there sobbing like a baby in the store Mm. because I want things to be better and I want to reconcile things yeah and my wife looked at me as serious as could be and without getting super emotional about it she's like it's because you care Mm. right it's because you care so much and you want, you see the best in people and you want people to do better and you want people to, to love each other and, and to be kind. And, um, my wife always says it, it, it's harder to be upset. It's harder to be mean. It's harder to be, you know, to live your life miserable. Right. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the same with, with relationships in church. Like it, it takes so much effort to be negative. It takes so much effort to be non-complacent and, and, and unhealthy. And, you know, I just think of all those people that have caused, have caused issues over the years in churches that I've been a part of, like, or, you know, power hungry board members, or it's, it's at the end of the day, it's about Jesus. And Jesus told you to love God and love each other. And, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And it, it, it's just, it's baffling to me that in 2023, that the church still misses that. We still mm. miss that mark. And it's like, it, one of the things I love so much about Jesus, you know, is the simplicity of his word and how he tells you to love people and love each other. And it's really not that hard. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. And it's, oh gosh, like. And you talk about the the, the problems in our country, like racism and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that, where it's like, man, why, why do you hate each other? Like, it's, it's so, so stupid. It's so dumb. And it's just, you know, I, I struggle so much. Like it, it's, you know, my wife and I've been trying to find a new church the last couple of months. And it's like, it's so hard because you, you just think, you know, are they going to, they're going to judge me or are we going to have the same issues we had before? Or are we going to, you know, 
be able to have those relationships like we've had in the past? Like, are we going to be able to put ourselves out there? Like there's yeah. so many variables of, of, of stress and negativity out there that like, that don't need to be out there because Jesus said to love each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. love, love, like the least of these, like the other, <laughs> the other day, my wife and I went to grab lunch and I feel like I'm all over the place with this podcast. But like, <laughs> the other day my wife and I went to grab lunch and in Oxford where Miami is there's this place called the Moon Co-op and they have the best soups ever like they make homemade soups every day Vegeta- vegetarian version every day and like one with meat in it every day we went in there we went to grab our soup because I just you know have been I'm still recovering from you know being you know sick with food poisoning we walk out and there's this little old lady I mean she's got to be 80 uh, and a walker, and she's trying to make her way into the hair hair uh, hair salon that's right next to the, the the co-op where we go get soup. And she struggled struggle busting to get the door open with her walker. And so I pushed <laughs> I pushed Alicia out of the way. I'm like, wait, get out of the way. And I went to open the door for her, and I held the door. And she looked back to me and she smiled and she's like, "Your mom raised you right." Mm. And I didn't say anything or any like I, it was just literally I saw that she needed help, and I extended that help. It, it's not hard. Yeah. It's it's yeah. not hard to love people. You're right. It, it's not hard. It's 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 not hard. And I think the the hard the reason why it's so hard is because you have to uh, I think for some people who maybe were raised right, it's hard because you have to in, invest in people or you have to invest in the situation like yeah, you're not investing in that woman, but you see that there's a problem. There is a need and no one's meeting that need. So what do you do? You jump in and you fulfill that need, which is just a simple act of opening up the door. And we live in a society where I think our, and I don't want to get too down a rabbit hole, but I think a lot of times what's always communicated through through our media is that what gets us talking? What gets us riled up? What gets us passionate about things that's happening is when there is an outrage or a tragedy. Yeah. And when we see that play in and play out through our news, through the movies and TV and the music we listen to, then obviously when that plays out in real life, it doesn't it doesn't compute. Like every girl thinks that the person they're going to marry is going to be their Prince charming. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. Or getting married is going to mean you're going to live heavy, um, happily ever after. And sometimes that's not going to be the case. It has to take work. It takes work. Cause you know, you're not perfect and you're not Cinderella and the person you married is not Prince charming. Yeah. You know, and again, I've just come back from Disney, so there's my Disney references, but <laughs> you know, it's but it's it's the thing, it has to take commitment, time, and work. And especially, you know, in this idea of relationships, really, if Jesus can love Judas and get down on his knees and wash the dude's feet, knowing that five minutes later she's going to betray him for some money. But Jesus, you know, and Jesus knows it, that's going to happen, but he does it anyway, because that's what God had called him to do. That's what he felt he should do. And again, 
He's to showcase the love of God to all. And there's no better love than to lay down your life for one's friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm amazed, you know, of so many things in, in church culture and it's, it's it's super confusing to me why I'm one like say you transitioned out of a church. Mm-hmm. We celebrate you leaving, we'll stay in touch, and then the very next week it's like you never existed. And you may never ever hear from this again. It's no different than high school, right? You remember graduating high school, Scott? Like yeah. there there are people you may never ever ever talk to again. And it's like you just snap your finger and they're gone. And it's like, wow. We spent four years together or we spent 12 years together in school, depending on your situation where you lived. And if you've lived the same place your whole life, you spent all this time with these people. You're not like, you're not going to be best friends with, with, you know, depending on how big your high school class was. Like I, I graduated with right around 300 people, but like I, I keep in touch with a few, but like, it's, it's amazing that some people you'll never talk to again. It's like a vapor. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's uh it's a problem. Um I like the quote it says leaders leaders people build relationships with you for the reasons other than just pure friendship. Yeah. I, <laughs> I <laughs> the problem when the problem when you're friends with a leader often isn't relational, it's positional. Like, it's just, you know, where do we go wrong in church culture? I don't know. I don't know. And I didn't realize this episode was going to be so heavy. I not. <laughs> man, we're just, we're just, let's just open up the floodgates, man. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like, uh, it's it's hard. I mean, and a lot of it goes back to this. And it goes back to one simple thing. If we are truly being discipled, if we are truly being discipled and being obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and allowing ourselves to be transformed daily uh, by the Holy Spirit to kind of become Christ-like, then we might see some of those changes. We might see those times where people are being more kind and loving. We may see where you could be in a leadership position. And when you start having people who want to be your friends, it's not like, oh, should I be friends with this person? Because I don't know if they actually generally care about me or they care about my power or they care about the influence that I have and what I can do for them or vice versa. I'm going to be friends with this person because they have a skill set that I like and I want to use them in the ministry that I'm doing. So that's why I'm their friends. I'm going to build the friendship, build that relationship so that I can say, Hey, I need you to do this. Can you do it? And knowing that they will say yes, because I first built that relationship and it doesn't become an authentic relationship. It is a relationship so that I can get what I want from it. Or they can get what they want from it. And it's not a genuinely relationship because you care about each other, because you're both followers of Christ. You both want to try to do the best you can to 
be a good disciple of Jesus Christ and to love your neighbor and to love God and to even love those who in some way don't deserve your love because they're kind of being crummy. But I think we don't, since we don't discipleship properly, or we have church leaders who model for us that, hey, if someone leaves, we're just going to maybe say something from the pulpit, like the reason why they left and blah, blah, blah. Or we kind of tell people, okay, well, we're not going to talk about it. And we're just going to simply ignore it. And by simply ignoring it, everyone else just kind of follows suit and just simply ignores that this person was ever in existence at our church. I want to say that the only thing that, you know, you can do is try, right? You can, you can always put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, whether that's good or bad or the results are good or bad. I mean, that's kind of, you know, <laughs> that's to be determined. Right. But um, it's, you know, it's one thing to, to put yourself out there and get repeatedly hurt, but, but like you can at least try like, mm-hmm. and it's on both sides, right? Like if, if you don't feel like you're, uh, you know, hearing from people, maybe you should reach out to them. But, but again, if it's one of those things where it's kind of like you're ghosted, like they talk about in that article, um, you've done your due diligence and you have to move on and try to build new relationships. Yeah. And I've always, I've always been a believer of like, okay, the people that are your friends will stay your friends and you'll stay yeah. in a relationship with those. And like some relation, every, every relationship is different, right? Like your relationship with your kids is different than your relationship with your wife. Mm-hmm. Right. And your relationship with like your friends from college is different from the relationships from the relationship that you and I have, or the relationship that you have from your friends from high school or whatever. Right. Like it's, yeah. they're all different, but like, you know, my point in as like, you know, I may not hear from my friend, um, Steve or Matt for like six months, but like we'll catch up on the phone every six months. Yeah. But I talk to my friend Cole from college every single day. We text mm-hmm. every single day. And we've done that for since we've since we've met each other in, in college. I did his wedding, right? Like we've kept in touch like we're attached to the hip. But like, you know, I may not hear from my one brother for like a month, but then my other brother I text every day or talk to mm-hmm. on the phone every other day or every week. So like it, yeah. it they're all different, right? So and yeah. they take work. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And friends, for those of you who are listening, if you'd like to read this article, we'll have it in the video description or in the comment section for you to find. Um, it's a good article. And a lot of times I sometimes there's a lot of stuff from Kerry Newolf that I disagree with, but I think that he kind of hits a and you may disagree with this, but I think he does kind of give an interesting perspective as far as you know, why this happens and kind of a good idea of kind of how do you handle this and how do you navigate through all this, which he kind of lays out a little bit, but there'll be a link to that. Um, There'll be a link to that in the, uh, in the description, but friends, thank you so much for listening. Um, You know, and again, I, I'm, I'm very blessed by each and every one of you who listen to this, who download this, who share it with friends. Um, because that tells me that you're interested in it, that you, these are topics that you care about. And I just thank you so much for the support. If you haven't left me a five-star review, go ahead and do that. That will help uh, more people who may want to find similar content 
uh, find us and it will be absolutely wonderful. So friends, hope you have a wonderful day and we'll be back on next week with another episode. Take care. (laughs) 